What is up, everybody? Everybody who's listening again, who's tuned in, who's either downloaded this off of some random website with podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. Yeah, I'm your host, Giacomo. This is the Squad Games Podcast. What, 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 I don't know why I did that, but nonetheless, I'm joined today by Dakota and Mr. Chris Baki. I just want to point something out real quick. His name is Chris, everybody. Please. Chris is his name. Would you Would you agree to that, Chris? Is that your name? That's what everyone tells me. Yes, uh, that, that as far as I can tell, that is my name. That's what your parents said, right? It's on my birth certificate, I think. <laughs> now, Dakota, is Dakota your name? Um, yeah, I almost got named Montana. Monta- what? Really? Oh yeah, huh? Yeah, that's. I was either going to be Montana or Dakota. He got lucky with Dakota there. Sure did. <laughs> Montana Luster. <laughs> Which actually, I kind of feel I would like have had a good ring to it. Yeah, I actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't hate that. <laughs> it's not awful. It's good. I, I, I got blessed with two, two good variations. Two good variations, and you're, yeah, and you're a hundred percent, you. Yeah, hundred percent me. So, Chris, I got a question for you, bud. Shoot. What's your favorite food? My favorite food. Oh man. Great question. Um, while we're on the topic, it's gonna it's gonna have to be tacos. I just absolutely will devour. Um, there's a there's a great Mexican place um, uh, near me that I love, uh, where they make these these delicious uh, a la carte, you know, really authentic Mexican style tacos. And I can just keep eating those bad boys. There's just there's just no limit to how many I can I can uh, chow down in a single sitting. So yeah, it's gonna have to be tacos. <laughs> okay. Um... What about your favorite fast food tacos? Favorite fast food tacos. I think he only has three options, right? Oh man, I I had Taco Bell once in college. I mean, I've probably been tricked into having it more than once, but there's one time I can remember in college where uh, we'd been out for a, for a late night of partying, and uh, we ended up at a Taco Bell at like you know two a.m. And uh, I don't really remember what the food tasted like going in, but. That, that's okay. all I'll say. All right. Did it feel great coming out? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it did not. <laughs> so uh, with with the uh, current Critical Operations tarot card pack that just released, right? Um, there's a contentious debate among us scholars, us Kill Team scholars. And um, it's about the triangle de- deployment. Uh, and it looks like there's been some teams that have been forming some quite aggressively. So far, there's been uh, Team Pizza, Team Nacho, and Team Quesadilla. And Mr. Baki, what is your preferred team? Well, when you when you think about you, you got to ground this entire conversation with what are the other two layouts, right? You got hot dog and you got hamburger. Agreed. Now the question is, where are these terms coming from? And the answer is they're coming from ballpark foods. That is where this comes from. And when you talk about the holy trinity of what you find at the ballpark, you got your hot dogs, you got your hamburgers, and you got your nachos. Ladies and gentlemen, case closed. It's it's nacho. That is the correct answer. We're done. What about nachos on pizza? 
nachos on pizza may exist. It's not my personal fancy. I've I've heard tell of some some dark things going on with with Dorito pizzas, something like that. I don't know what's going on there. Uh, however, regardless of if you like this type of food or not, you're not finding it at a ballpark, right? Easy as. Okay. All right. Now, fair uh, enough. Do you do you enjoy grilled cheese sandwiches? I can't say I can't say I really haven't too often. I, I've had them in the past. They're good. Not my particular fancy. Dang, this makes my other question irrelevant. I was going to ask how you cut them. <laughs> I'm not taking the bait. That's the thing. I, <laughs> you think I don't know what's going on with these questions? <laughs> well, yeah, you're right. I guess I'm a bad fisherman. <laughs> well, someone pointed out to me yesterday because I was all about Team Quesadilla, but I'm going to make like a politician and, and slide to a different grift. Um yeah, yeah, it's always been about team team grilled cheese. See, I was just thinking with my Hispanic roots about quesadillas and tortillas, so I didn't think about breads instead. And really, that's what it always was the whole time. Team grilled cheese. I've never heard that one before. Well, that's... I'm just I'm just saying I've never played Kill Team in a ballpark. I think that would be fun, but um, I've definitely eaten pizza while playing Kill Team. I have too. <laughs> 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 all right all right all right all right all right, all right. so uh let's let's start this bad boy off with the with the new critical operations 2022 close quarters the into the dark stuff and it looks like they have two new tac ops uh one of which is seize access point which replaces seize ground and they have secure unexplored rooms which replaces secure vantage. Now, what do you like these new TAC Ops for this particular mission? I absolutely do. I think both of these TAC Ops really have a place in competitive play. And I'm really happy that, you know, now when you're rocking security or recon, you're playing to the full deck. So I, I really like that that's the case. Uh, it gives you more options. And, uh, you know, some of those, uh, you know, previous loopholes where you could pick from a different archetype, uh, you, you know, may have been interesting from a, competitive consideration angle like a thought-provoking question uh, but it wasn't good for the game wasn't good for the spirit or uh, intuitiveness of how you're approaching you know going into these uh, games and selecting your tack ops so really really happy with both of these i think they're both very thematic and they're both scorable in the right situations uh, secure or unexplored room definitely seems really fun and i look forward to trying it out okay so it also seems like your barricades are allowed to be set up anywhere within your territory now i did i have not i've been playing i've been doing too many tournaments that to get a lot of games into uh into the dark uh is this a standard rule for into the dark or is this something new this is something new and and this really uh accompanies a few sets of changes that were made uh alongside on in, in uh, open boards as well to sort of tighten things down a little bit or uh you know take out some of the things that were a little aggressive before uh one common technique that uh, players such as myself would do uh, is use barricades very offensively. Uh, so before this update, uh, you know, a lot of my focus on barricades, you know, I, I chose the scouting option of one a fair amount of the time. And I was usually doing it to really punish teams that had limited mobility tools or create sort of blocking areas where it's hard to physically place a base. In the end, I don't think that's good for the game. And I also don't think, again, it's, it's it makes intuitive sense that tools that your own team's deploying are being able to be flung far downfield, you know, pretty close to your opponent's drop zone. So I support these changes. I think they make the game a little healthier and make barricades used for what they're supposed to be used for. 
Absolutely. You heard it here first. Barricades 2023. <laughs> Barricade 2023. <laughs> um, what about the new layouts? Uh, do you like these layouts at all compared to what they've put into the uh into the normal into the dark pack the short answer is yes and and i think the the bigger part of it is it's a great this pack is absolutely excellent as far as how it standardizes between into the dark and open board so long to, uh, tournament or- organizers like yourself like me have really struggled with with mixing in into the dark into uh, open board missions because you can create an asymmetry because so many of the into the dark missions were harder to score uh, they generally had primary win conditions that maybe just didn't even start kicking in until after turn one. Yeah. And the effect of that was that typically, you know, a player doing very well in the dark could only end up with eight or nine points, right? Which is the equivalent of a max score for them in that environment. So the fact that all of these maps have six objectives is absolutely huge for standardizing the game and making it just feel, you know, that much better in a parity with open boards, which I think a lot of players are supportive. Yeah, uh, overall, there's also just so many great layouts in here. Uh, a lot of them have echoes of previous maps from the original mission pack. Uh, like Conduit looks a lot like Power Surge. Uh, Hub feels a bit like full-scale attack. And Vault is sort of like a fixed version of Junction Assault. So it's a little bit like like watching a remix of, of all your old favorites, but this time just a little bit better. Plus a whole lot of uh, really flavorful new ones. I do think there's a few in here that are questionable, but overall, we're working with at least eight really solid maps that make running an entire multiple-day event in Into the Dark very viable. All right. Would you say that these are gas? Did, gas. I, even, did I even use that right, Giacomo? Nope. Yes. Yes, you did use it right. Because right, <laughs> when I look at the boards like you just mentioned, I think of like ones like Locked, Ducked, and uh, Hanger. And those ones always feel like the movement's a little weird because where the doors are placed. So it feels like you're just like, yeah, there is in between where you can make this third lane, but it really just sort of feels like two lanes when I look at it. But I haven't tried them out, so I'm not really too sure. Yeah, there's a lot of them I want to try out. One I'm very curious about is, you know, ones like Duct is very questionable to me. Uh, You know, how much actually counterplay you'll see. And I know there's been a little bit of discussion online for some of these, these boards feeling a little static and feeling like they lend themselves to sort of having a, a 50-50, you know, even you know, with their six objectives, each player claims three. And I don't think most of the time that's really much of a concern. But on, on a few of these, like especially Duct, I think depending on what happens with those side rooms, you could very easily reach a stalemate where neither player wants to make the first move. You know, I, I, I haven't honestly sat down and played any of these yet. I'm very excited to. Uh, but I don't think that's going to happen too much, but something to be considerate of. Yeah, what's interesting is... Um how symmetrical they are compared to what you know open is all about being super asymmetrical right so i find it quite quite interesting that gw kind of went with uh symmetry in into the dark compared to open board i think there's a yes and there's a little bit of a neat extra layer of it where because of the physical way that the end of the dark boards are built in a lot of these missions you actually have to end up building them asymmetrically only because the doors will have to swing different ways on different mm. sides of the table, uh, with that being the only asymmetry on the entire table, and only some of them will force you to do it. Uh, but I think that's that's a really interesting thing that I, I don't even, I don't know if that's intentional or not. Um, but yeah, I I definitely um, I'm an asymmetry man, uh, very much prefer it, and definitely you know these these layouts being a step away from it is disappointing, like it was with the original uh, pack from Into the Dark. It feels a little bit more like arena with them being super symmetrical. Oh so. yeah, yeah, that's yeah. a good point. 
So it's it's interesting to see that they went that route for sure. But I I personally think that these are 100% viable for having mixed tournaments now. Like I kind of look forward to LVO 2024 and possibly other tournaments coming up that we can actually run um we can run tournaments with both into the dark and open and not feel bad, you know, and it also punishes some of those, some of those pure pathfinder players that are, you know, haven't been touched in so long. Right. So. Yeah, definitely. It definitely knocks pathfinders down from a S plus tier to just regular S tier. So, you know, it's definitely good to give them that little slap on the wrist. Yeah, absolutely. Do you, um, Going to to the new format for critical operations for open boards, um, do you have any particular tack tack ops that you really like? Well, so many of them are are really fun, and I really like the just the general breath of fresh air they've introduced. Uh, I've been playing a little bit of Wormblade recently in some of my oh. test games, uh, just just playing around with things, and I, I got to tell you. They're pretty That's good. The, the infiltration tack op for seized defenses is so incredibly fun. So this is the one where you basically start scoring points by controlling an opponent's barricade. And the the amount of times where your <laughs> opponents, you know, before they know what your tack ops are, they're they're you know measuring out where their barricade's gonna go and they're trying to get the best angle to place it as far forward as they can to get this, you know, great defense on a forward objective. And I'm just looking at it and just smiling, you know, just keep pushing it. Yeah, you can put it there. No problem. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> you can, you got it tucked in your territory a little bit. All good. So really, really like that one. I think it too, uh, the changes to the seek and destroy archetype overall went, made it from probably the worst archetype before to potentially the best now. And that's really exciting. Which As one? Someone, uh, the seek and destroy archetype. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they replaced essentially the old execution uh, secondary, which basically required you to kill more operatives than than uh, you have yours of own die uh, during your turn. And kill team's a game where you know most teams are rocking between you know eight operatives, maybe up to twelve in a you know the general range. And to score this thing, you have to kill more, not even equal, but more than your opponent does for three turns during the course of the game to max the secondary. That is a huge burden to do, to kill more and not equal, and if nobody dies, you don't score it either. And that was replaced with, oh yeah, you just pick a dude and pick a target each turn, and if you kill the target, you get the points. That is, it's a massive swing and really helps out teams like Legionaries, teams like Blooded, uh, who can really project some freight train avalanche of death and reliably kill a certain target. Agreed. Yeah, so so the changes to those two archetypes are really exciting. Uh, I'm really happy with the changes to security too. I think it was an open secret that security was was pretty much hands What's down good? the best archetype Easily, in the game. Yeah. yeah, as as a shameless person who played it uh, in many many events, uh, you, you know it was a hidden secret that you would take central control, you would take mm-hmm. seize ground, and you would take hold the line. And Naturally. those those objectives not only rewarded you for playing the game, they rewarded you for for basically your opponent not being able to actively bludgeon you into submission. And as long as you kept rough parity in the game state, you could actually pull ahead on points, which was pretty wild. So uh, the changes to those has been very, very uh, appreciated, and I'm happy to bring security into feeling like it's not just an auto-take, and any team that has it would never take anything else. Yeah, I think I think uh, Hold the Line was definitely one of probably one of the best. Yep. Um, I think now it's more important than ever to know what you're opponent is going to play for instance 
I don't know if security is the best take into somebody who's playing Infiltrate. A lot of their Infiltrate stuff want to counter what uh, security does, right? So it's kind of like knowing your kind of matchup and being able to relearn a bunch of stuff is going to be, and kind of like just knowing the archetypes is going to be like super, super helpful for each person, you know? Definitely. Uh, there's also changes to recon too, which really punishes security in a way where they have, you know, surge forward is sort of like reverse hold the line. You know, the, yeah. the seek and destroy route is sort of like reverse hold the line with a sprinkling of murder in there. And those changes, you know, will encourage a, play, a player to do that rather than what they were doing before, which was, you know, they try to try for vantage, try for triangulation. And they're hanging out on board edges, but they're not really wanting to go downfield. So this rewards them for getting just a little bit downfield um, and is much more viable than uh, the uh, the old, uh, what was it? The one where you needed to secure all four table quarters, uh, that one. Oh, um, triangulate? Recon. No, 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 the uh, overrun for, oh, from yeah. the old recon. Yeah, that one was real punishing to actually score. So the fact that recon has viable alternatives now is is very important for them. Yeah, Recon is one of my favorite reworks of the entire thing. Like, I thought that a lot of their stuff was really hard to score, unless if you're playing, like, Old Domination, you know, like, Old Domination was really easy to score some stuff, but, uh, like, Plant Beacon and stuff like that. But, I mean, I think, ultimately, like, Recon definitely made a lot of really good things. I really like Outflank and and a few other the Retrieve items, and I think they did a great job with this uh, with this particular rework. I will say overall, I agree. There is there's one exception I'll have, and my hot take is I actually don't like the changes to, to secure vantage. Uh, and the reason oh, I don't really? like it is because it's a little bit of a rich get richer situation yep. where uh, teams who were already pretty good at, at getting it before are going to stay good at it. But now that it no longer uh, rec- you know allows you to do an action and then run away, but you actually have to stand there, means that elite teams aren't able to dash, score vantage, and run away. They actually have to stand there. Whereas horde mm-hmm. teams who have a bunch of activations can, you know, just be standing on on advantage, perform the action, and then wait out to, or just you know, stand there and wait out the end of the turn. So because of that, uh, it actually skews a little bit against elite teams in my mind, and uh, mm-hmm. I think it's a little bit of a step down for the viability of elite teams on open board. So one of my thought processes is is that I think that it's more important ever now to have tested board layouts than having non-tested board layouts. And let me tell you why. I think that particularly with secure advantage, just because it was such an auto take for all these teams that would just abuse it. Um, that can really be skewed depending on how you place the terrain. And I think that having layouts that make sure that it's still scorable, but not easily attainable is something that's super important. Um, because you don't want to punish that particular, uh, objective either. Right. So that's, that's my hot take is I think that it's, I think secure vantage is still good, but I think that it needs to be done on played tested missions and maps rather than somebody just coming up with it willy nilly. You know what I mean? I'll, I'll definitely agree that especially with this update now, it is more important than ever to have tested vetted, uh, map layouts where you really understand, you know, exactly what you're saying. Where are the vantages? Which things can be claimed to seize ground? You know, what what options are players going to have for turning point one, you know, vantage points where they can get shots in their opponent's drop zone? Where are they able to now place a barricade on a vantage yep. that could be really oppressive? Where are they yep. now able to scouting phase dash onto a vantage point uh, and, and, you know, really exploit that fact? 
And that's something to be very cognizant of when you're playing against it and when you're playing with it. 100%. Yeah, I feel like it definitely kind of punishes um, the newer players, you know, like um, people that have not really... Like somebody who wants to play with the critical operation stuff and they just kind of throw a bunch of stuff on the table. I feel like there could be a lot more swingy games just because of poor terrain placement Um, or player place terrain, I think, is more of a negative now than it ever was before. Um, Definitely. And I think that player place terrain now could be like is definitely by far the worst way to go via tournament uh, status. Yeah, I think. You know, I get the idea behind wanting to do player place terrain, right? It really eases the burden off the TO. I get it. I really do. But in order to make player place terrain to work, you would need to play test that format so much and add in so many rules and conditions to stop you from doing things that are oppressive. And you're always on the lookout for somebody to try finagle some weird shenanigans with whatever terrain they have um, to, to really find a loophole. Absolutely. I am so, in my mind, so certain that the the right way to do it is, one, everyone should have a baseline understanding of what makes a good map, right? Uh, There's, there's, Mm -hmm. I know Ace put out a really good article on Gunhammer recently about it. Um, Definitely take a look at at the maps that you see in competitive layouts. Look at, you know, those Warhammer event layouts. Look at the, uh, of course, the the LVO map pack uh, by by Mr. Dakota over here. Uh, Really great sources to find uh, people who are really sharp at the, you know, really designing maps for the game and knowing how to build a good one. So absolutely could not agree more. And I think, I think the coolest thing about that is that, between all three of us, we all have different ways that we want to set up the terrain and different ways that it can be done. And that's the most fascinating part about terrain setups and terrain layouts is that there is no one right way. There are a bunch of good ways to do it. You just kind of have to have those philosophies in your brain before you actually go out and run a tournament or set up for something that's that you want to be a super competitive game. Absolutely. There is not... You know, I guess I would say there are wrong ways to make a map, but there's not one singular right way. Yeah. So uh, moving on to towards tournaments and stuff like that, you know, we did cover some stuff regarding your golden ticket win in Seattle and uh, our previous episodes. Uh, feel free, listeners, to go back and look at those. They're both really good episodes covering VetGuard and uh, Sisters, uh, Novitiates, uh, both extremely... Um, well-articulated uh, guides from uh, Mr. Chris Baki here, who does a great job at it. Um, are you looking forward to LVO and Kill Team Open? I could not be more looking forward to the LVO and, and Kill Team Open. I'm, I'm uh, so much more stoked than I than I was last time we talked, which I was already, already excited, already got my tickets. Uh, but now, uh, for those of you who may not know, LVO sold out. And then we got more tickets, and then it sold out again. Uh, this is going to be, I think, the largest single Kill Team tournament in the United States to date uh, yeah. coming up for the Las Vegas Open, uh, which which I am incredibly excited for. Uh, the, the competition last year was fierce. Uh, the competition this year is going to be even fiercer, and I cannot be more excited. Uh, I've also had the pleasure of uh, playtesting some of the map packs that are going to be being used for the Las Vegas Open. And I can tell you that a bunch of really, really sharp players have put a lot of love and heart into making these uh, what I consider the, the gold standard for, for maps right now in a competitive kill team. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty impressive. And anyone that wants to test these maps out and give feedback, I would love and in, I would love the the critical feedback for any of these maps, so that I can make sure that it is 
um, the most viable and fun for everyone. Of course, if you're a Pathfinder player and you tell me to take all the uh, the fortified stuff out of the center <laughs> of the board, it's not going to happen. But, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, come up into an open mind with it. And uh, I'm very excited to hear that because we, we about LVO selling out twice. The second time it sold out, sold out in under 10 minutes. And I'm trying to get more tickets for LVO. We'll see if it happens. We might be able to go up to 90. Uh, if we could go over 100, that would be amazing. But I don't know if LVO has a space for us this year. Next year, we're definitely going to try and push for over 120, but that is for next year. Um, so you did, we, we haven't spoken to you since you went to the, L, uh, the AVTT, which is the all Valley team tournament out here in California. Um, what did you, uh, who, who's your favorite team or match that you played against in that particular tournament? Ooh, for the all Valley team tournament. Uh, there were, there were a few good games, uh, but you know, I guess my, my favorite and most memorable game that I had there um, was against that uh, excellent gentleman who's the Corsair player, and his name is slipping. Ah, Rob. Rob. Uh, Rob. Yeah. Uh, Corsair. He got third place yesterday in a, at our Christmas tournament. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, uh, yeah definitely. Uh, you know, I had played as Corsairs a few times, but I never played against them. And so this was the very first round of the All Valley Team Tournament. And, uh, you know, one really cool thing about it is, of course, it's a team event, so you're choosing your pairings. And I, for some reason, thought it would be a good idea to go into the dark uh, for the first <laughs> first mission of the day against Corsairs on Supply Raid. And for those of you not, uh, not familiar with that mission, that mission is about picking up objectives and running away with them. Uh, as, as blooded, you know, I'm not particularly slow, but Corsairs are very, very good at that. And it felt like I chose to play him where his team was strongest. And I was sort of kicking myself as we were deploying. I sort of, I, I realized what had occurred. Uh, that game was a nail biter. I uh, was constantly felt really pressed against the wall. Uh, had very few options, and he really punished me for some misplays that I made. Um, absolutely excellent game, super memorable. Uh, shout out uh, for for a, an excellent match, and I look forward to when we can play again. Yeah, he's a he's a really good dude too. Um, that's awesome to hear. I'm I'm glad I'm glad that that's the that's the one. I've heard that they are pretty strong on Into the Dark. Is there? Uh, do you think they're going to be just as strong with this new packet? <sighs> I think Corsairs are still struggling uh, on open board. Uh, they simply lack, you know, I, I think the the raw ranged threat plus melee durability to really thrive in either into the dark or open board. And okay. I don't think the extra CP helps them that much. Uh, Corsairs yeah. don't have that many great uses for their command points. And so having more is going to help other teams, which can put it to use better than, than they can proportionally. So uh, I, I think overall, uh, you know, again, also the changes for the scouting dash and the, the fortify barricade aren't super helpful either. They're already a hyper mobile team. So having that, that dash bonus in the beginning doesn't, doesn't super help them in a lot of scenarios. True. True. Um, so go, let's move on to New Mexico. So New Mexico is going to be, you did play and compete in the New Mexico grand finale for war, uh for 40k i mean for warhammer right correct yes um did you like the double elimination format i i actually really did i liked that look for this tournament you had players flying from all around the world we had one from yeah. the uk and two from spain and for all these lovely people to fly out spend some of them were 12 or more hours traveling for you to travel all that way be jet lagged exhausted and then wake up day one of the tournament you're pounding your coffee, trying to remember what, what your name is, and you've lost a game, and all of a sudden it's all for nothing, and you're out, is an awful, awful feeling. 
So I'm really happy that every single competitor there got two bites at the apple uh, and, and two tries to come back uh, for, you know, if they'd lost once, really, really great format. Of course, there is one player who did not lose twice, um, and he ended up winning. So, of course, so uh, but it was really great for everyone else that, that we got two tri- uh, two tries. So, um, with that, do you think that that's going to be a viable tournament format f- for other tournaments, or do you think it should only really be held for these higher two day eight person tournaments? I think the format is definitely viable, uh, but it, it does need to be something you use uh, with discretion. And I think, you know, if, if we do some sort of invitational system next year where you have a select group of eight or maybe 16 players and run that over the course of a couple of days, uh, I think it, it definitely could be a good format for it. Uh, as far as doing it for, for a bigger competition, I don't think it's viable. Yeah, definitely not for LVO. I think we'd be there for like two weeks. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, how about the, uh, the four hour rounds? How, how do you, what do you think about that? So, uh, so yeah, for those of you who don't know, uh, the New Mexico tournament had four-hour rounds. Uh, so you're playing from 8 a.m. on Saturday to midnight, and then the following day from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. the, the next day. Uh, which, when you're looking at that schedule, uh, everyone was thinking, okay, can we shorten that down maybe to two hours? And, and, you know, the event organizers, unfortunately, couldn't change it. They had to keep us on the same tempo as the 40K stuff. Very good. Cue us Monday morning, you know, 7.45, you know, 15 minutes before the round starts, and we are all exhausted. Everybody had been traveling a lot the day before. Everyone was completely wiped. Uh, you know, we'd gone out, you know, a little bit of uh, celebrating, seeing each other the night before as well. So none of us, none of us were awake, and we're all, like, looking at each other and thinking, yeah, four-hour round is really nice right about now. Like, cool, we can <laughs> we can really take our time deploying, you know, go go take a bio break, go get some more coffee, um, you know, go get a snack when you needed it. And so uh, we were generally still finishing games in about two and a half hours, uh, which would be the pace that, you know, I think generally people play if they're playing at home just really casually and, and not rushing and just, you know, having a conversation. So we ended up really liking those four-hour rounds uh, because of the nature of that kind of event. We definitely wouldn't want it for a general event. Got it. So we did speak to Ryan most recently about that they did not give you guys free room service or anything like that. And that the place where you guys stayed was super nice. But um, did they give you guys like lunch or anything like that during these super long days? Or did were you guys forced to fend for yourselves? We were mostly on their own, uh, on our own. There was a little bit of uh, stuff provided by the hotel itself. So they had some some cool, uh, this free, uh, authentic Native American bread, which was delicious. Um, so that was really solid. Uh, but unfortunately, no, uh, Games Workshop was very generous in their flights. Uh, you know, all the travel accommodations were taken care of and the rooms themselves were taken care of. Um, but actually at, uh, at the resort, if we didn't, you know, wanted to get some food or take care, take advantage of any other uh, stuff going on there, we did have to pay for it out of pocket. Got it. So, um, you ended up playing Pathfinders versus Travis turn one and you guys tied and you got the tiebreaker. Take us through that game. How'd that go? So... I have played Travis. Uh, this was now our fourth time playing, and Travis is an excellent, amazing player. And uh, when we had been drawing our matchups for the first mission, uh, when we saw that we had landed against each other, and then later saw that it was going to be an open board, you know, we were both thinking the same thing. 
Pathfinder versus Blooded on open board, that's going to be rough. And it, it was. Uh, the, the entire game um, was a nail-biter. Um, with my, uh, you know, blooded guys running forward, uh, you know, trying to score whatever points I could and kill whatever pathfinders I could. Um, and, and, you know, Travis really, uh, you know, picking off my guys one by one, slowly marching across the field. Uh, you know, my casualties are, are mounting more and more. And it came down to the last turn of the game. I'm ahead by one point and I've got the first activation. And I've got my sniper locked in combat with the pathfinder on the last point to be looted. Ooh. So I throw my dice. He's got a blooded token on him. So I roll a, a crit, a hit, and a miss. And uh, then Travis rolls his dice, and he gets all misses. Oh, no. And so his, uh, his Pathfinder guy has five wounds left. And I just look at him. I'm like, well, I guess that's game. I'm going to punch him to death and, and loot it. And he looks at me. He's like, I'm going to CP reroll. Oh. So, so he's, he CP rerolls. <laughs> One of his misses gets the six. So... You know, we look at each other and then we just shake hands because we knew that, you know, all, all basically all I could do then is parry out uh, and then he would kill my guy and uh, he managed to then tie the game. So he punched the point. We're up to 13 and 13 on the on the total score. And then we go to tiebreakers. And unfortunately, the first tiebreaker was on secondary, you know, victory points uh, from your tack ops. And he had, you know, uh, I think two more points on tack ops than I did. I had a very bad draw with blood at that game and had some very awful tack ops. Couldn't score him at all. And he won on tiebreaker. Um, and that was, you know, that was a really rough way to go down. Um, but also, um, you know, Travis is an amazing player. If I'm going to lose to any Pathfinder player, you know, I'd, I'd like it to be him. So um, it was it was a great match. Uh, he's just very sharp guy. And I was really happy to go uh, go him, uh, have him uh, go on and play ace for the round two. Yeah. So when you played the rest of your, did you only play Hunter Clade there after that? No, I, I had a brief respite from Hunter Clade, actually, <laughs> uh, when I played Carlos's Breachers. Um, and this was uh, at the end of day one. So this, this game started at 8 p.m. and went till midnight. And so, so that's, a that's getting into the night for anybody. Now, you have to remember that Carlos... Right, amazing gentleman had just flown from Spain, had had been jet lagged the entire day, had probably been at this point going for like twenty four hours without sleep. So he was exhausted, um, and you could definitely, you know, I could definitely tell when I was playing him um, that the, the man was tired. And uh, you know, on the flip side, he was much more practice practice than I was. So uh, I had been enjoying stateside this really great packet that Kill Team Stream made to run into the dark missions on arena boards which is awesome. Uh -huh. It was great. Uh, really fun. We played them at the all by Team tournament. It was an amazing time. Unfortunately, the Spaniards have not been doing that, and they have been playing the legit stock Into the Dark missions. And sure enough, <laughs> of course, at New Mexico, they also ran the stock Into the Dark missions. So one thing that I quickly realized when I played with Carlos, that he had, he had played this exact mission probably more times than I've played Into the Dark stock overall. <laughs> so he knew exactly where to place his barricades. He had his multiple first turns all telegraphed out, and I could tell because I could tell he was going off rehearsal because he was he was exhausted and just going off these these moves that he knew he was doing. And I didn't know the moves, and he definitely was able to place these certain blocking barricades and models and positions where I just couldn't counter threat them. 
And it was, it was, uh, you know, a pretty nail biting experience for me. Uh, I ended up having a really, really great turn where my Ogryn activated, smashed into a room full of breachers, killed a few himself. Some of them for some reason challenged him and he, he smacked down a few more. His axe jack charged my Ogryn. The Ogryn was an absolute stud, managed to survive that and kill the axe jack as well. Uh, so at, at one point the Ogryn, uh, was surrounded by breacher bodies in an area that previously Carlos had held pretty strongly. And that ended up swinging the game overall into my favor, and I managed to, to clinch it out basically from there. So uh, Augren, absolutely MVP of that game. Really, really wow. fun to watch. Amazing. That's a really cool story. Uh, you don't, I don't typically see the Augren. I mean, I don't see the blooded very often in general. Um, when you, then you went against two Hunter Clades back to back, their second one being Ace, which was your second loss. Take us through those two games real quick and, uh, maybe how they how they differed in their play styles. Uh, yeah, so both games were really really wonderful. My first game was against Adrian, uh, who is an excellent player, and I think you know the the biggest I think difference between him and Ace at this point was Adrian didn't know blooded very well, and mm. I did my best to explain what I could given you know given the time. Uh, but it's also at a tournament, so you know, I'm not necessarily obligated to tell him everything that I could do. You know, I'm just going to let him know, you know, what I have and what my threat ranges are. Yeah. And so uh, the the first turn, you know, went on for a while um, until sort of the last activation of the first turn. And what he, what I saw that he didn't was that I had a shot in his plasma gunner. If I just gave my plasma, a, a, you know, a comms, move dash, shoot. Um, and this this isn't anything unique to blooded, right? I just I had a move yeah. where I could move dash shoot, um, and he didn't see that I had it, and I did. Um, and I managed to move dash. You know, he had a blooded token. He took the shot, and he got it. Nice. And I closed out turn one, having killed his plasma gunner. I hadn't lost anything, and it was a it was a pretty big deal for me overall. You know, coming uh, sort of coming into turn two with was this open this, board. This was open board. Uh, this okay. is escalating hostilities and open board. And really, as the game developed, I could really present some of my power pieces and just charge them into the Sicarians without worrying about getting counter shot by the plasma. And of course, he had some other range threats. Of course, the Arquebus is there. The uh, the arc rifle was there. Um, but without that that plasma centerpiece, it overall really slowed down his ability to to, to degrade me at range. And I was able to pull ahead eventually on the range battle. And then the melee mosh pit uh, sort of, you know, uh, spiraled out of control for him uh, with a few other. Again, Ogren did great that game. Uh, my Grenadier with a Diabolic Grenade I got some great grenades off. Uh, nice. so, so all those things went really well. And ultimately, uh, you know, I think Adrian just hadn't played against Blood enough to know uh, the certain combos I could set up and stack. So, so that was really to my favor. Um, so I ended up taking that game. My game against Ace uh, was... Uh, very memorable for me. And it was very unlike our first game that we had played at LVO before. Uh, so at New Mexico, we were playing Seas Ground, and the map was very much had a no man's land in the middle where we could each pretty easily take our three objectives each, and it would turn into sort of a waiting game of who would make that first strike. And for the first entire turning point, nothing happened. Wow. For the second turning point, it was this constant thing of us looking into each other's eyes and we're looking at our models and we've got a few moves we could make, right? They're like these risky moves and we're both not taking them. And we've, we've each set up all of these counter threats that are so strong that if either of us did anything, we'd immediately get punished for it. And so we're looking at each other, you know, I've got this crazy grenade strike I can do that he sees, you know, and I'm just like, I'm debating if I'm going to take it because he moves some other things out of the way. 
Um, you know, he's got this Sakarian he could run in and fight my butcher. Um, but then like, I've got all these counter threats that I could start launching if he did that, cause he'd leave his door open. So there's all this great stuff is this, uh, wonderful Octarius board and of turning point two, he has the last activation and he activates one of his Sakarians and he just moved dashes him on one of my points, which I had moved away from because he had the speed boost, um, imperative that turn. And he got threat on one of my operatives. So I pulled him back to not let him start the threat chain. And it all came down to the turning point three initiative roll. Uh And if he got it, he could activate that Sakarian again and launch him in a backfield. And sure enough, he got the initiative and he was able to start a kill chain that I could never fully recover from. And, you know, it was a a hard-fought game from there. Um, We both sort of knew as soon as we saw that roll what was going to happen. That was a, a very much deciding role. And, uh, you know, he ended up being able to really set up some, some great, uh, charge plays and I wasn't able to recover from it. So, yeah, it was a wonderful game. Ace as always is, is an amazing opponent and, uh, I look forward to the next time I get to play him. Hopefully it killed team open, huh? Hell yeah. <laughs> um, now you founded the Bay area tournament squad bats is what we're calling it, right? Yes, uh, but, uh, Bats is definitely a labor of love between uh, uh, Kill Team Stream, uh, Sheldon, and myself. Um, but I, I'm sort of the, uh, the sort of the primary organizer of uh, you know the the Bats squad, I guess uh, that we call ourselves now, um, and help uh, you know get the team uh, camaraderie together, you know get the jerseys, the dice, stuff like that, and and keep things coordinated. So what's fascinating is we had two people from NorCal at our Christmas tournament yesterday. Both are from your area, um, maybe about 45 minutes to an hour out of some of the game castles out there. Um, and they were wondering how they would uh, how they could join bats if it was able if they were able to or if anyone is in that area and you guys are wanting to. How, how, how would someone go about doing that? That's a great question. So uh, we have a Discord, uh, which um, if you want to uh, message me on Discord, uh, you should be able to, I think we can attach some links to this or something. Um, find me on Discord. Yeah, You'll find me in the Squad Games uh, Discord as well, um, where you can join our Discord. And then we have a little bit of a, um, I won't call it a hazing process, but let's just say we, we have a process to induct new members. Um, but <laughs> but even before you're a member, um, you can join the Bats Discord, uh, chat with us, and uh, you know we, we schedule schedule events and so you'll you'll be the first to know when we're planning on running an event at some places uh, we go between uh, gamescape and center fell uh, we go to game castle and fremont we got a few other places we we run events in the north bay um so uh yeah anyone who is in the north bay and would like to check us out and uh, hang out with the bats and potentially uh, join the squad uh, hit me up i'd love to love to induct new in the bat wing we got we just passed 11 which is pretty exciting wow very nice that's uh that's quite that's quite the that's quite the scene you know and then you guys might be getting two to three more players up there if uh i think it's david and nico from uh our most recent christmas one i believe that's right david and nico yeah nico left a little early he had to go he did i mean we went to like 10 10 p.m we were pretty late yeah 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 12 (laughs) to 10 i'd love to meet him that sounds wonderful yeah so um my last question before we dive into the blooded was since you've truly mastered so many kill teams, um, what has been your, your all time favorite kill team that you've played thus far? Well, definitely my, my favorite to play as is the blooded. Uh, I, I really just 
really enjoy what tools that team has and and their you know the, the murder stuff they do. Um, I have been dipping my toe into a bunch of teams uh, very recently though. Um, I've had I've been having a blast of a time with Warp Coven. Really enjoy getting in touch with my my magical side. You know, we're playing in the Bat Cave from the Harry Potter soundtrack. It's just wonderful. Nice. Um, so get that going. Um, I've enjoyed dabbling in Corsairs a little bit as well. I've enjoyed playing as them and as Kroot. Um, so I've enjoyed all of those teams as well, uh, but none have really captured my heart like Blooded has. Okay. All right. All right. Giacomo, you want to take us off on the Blooded? Let's start on the Blooded. So it looks like you already answered why you wanted to play them, what you liked about them. Um, do you feel like this blooded team are going to be the next sort of Pathfinders or Hunter Clade where everyone's really starting to learn how to use them because they start dominating on the table? You know, that's a really interesting question. I think what we've observed on uh, some of the discords where that was funny is there's almost been this this little bit of exodus from a lot of former vet guard players moving over to blooded. And I don't think it's seen as, in general, as far as I can tell, as something that's chasing the meta and power gaming. I, I think what it is, is a lot of what draws players to Vet Guard is this ability to identify a bunch of internal tools, link them together, and take what was once a bunch of ordinary human, uh, you know, folks, and make them, you know, better than the sum of their parts. Make them stronger than that and, and link these synergies together and, and compound things. Let it give you in a weird way, a lot of the same ability to do things that are similar, except instead of normal humans, they're psychopaths, but similar idea. Um, so yeah, I think that's what's drawing a lot of players to blooded. And I think they're enjoying some moderate success on, success on the table because some folks are really figuring out how these pieces click. You know, it's interesting that you bring it up because when I was first looking at the Navy breachers, thinking about blooded and then thinking about Casterkins as they were being released, I thought vet guard is like the template to start when you're just playing guardsmen and you want to learn how you can play with sort of a bigger team. And then you can go into the style of Navy breachers, which tend to play with um, a unique set of rules going into more close quarters. You have blooded who work about, you know, losing guys and then having their synergies with with killing, I guess, if that makes sense, scoring a lot of um, frags in the game. And then I haven't tried Casterkins, but it looks like they're a little more, a, a slightly elite version of Guardsmen, if that makes sense. So. Yeah, definitely, definitely a lot of ways to play them. And uh, I think there's, there's something special that that's really taking it, um, you know, different than in Kazarkin who can just, you know, flip the switch on when they want to be more accurate or, you know, breachers and they want to just flip a switch on when they want to have the buddy system and just all group activate at once. I think there is a little bit of something there with with feeling the need to to sort of look under the surface for you know look beyond the stat lines and the and the raw print text of the rules and sort of uncovering these these interesting ways to link certain aspects of the team together to make it stronger than it looks on paper. I would agree with that. Now going back into the blooded, for you, what makes up your typical team? What do you find taking most often? So the, the cool thing is, blooded have so much play in their roster. They have uh, 10 specialists, which, you know, I'm kind of glossing over the gunners here, but they have 10 specialists plus the leader that all really are viable. They all really have different reasons and, and ways you take them. And so my my typical vet guard list um, is going to be the, the grenadier, the butcher, the commsman, the corpsman, uh, the flenser, the plasma and grenade launcher gunners, uh, the sniper, the thug, uh, the, and the trench reaper. Um, I'm typically going to omit the corpsman, the, the medic, um, in a lot of the matchups, but that doesn't mean he mm -hmm. never gets play. So he actually does show up sometimes. And then also Blooded are really great because they have the uh, the two hero characters, the Ogryn and the Enforcer, and they have two mooks you could take instead of each one. And <laughs> for Blooded, 
it's actually a real choice. Uh, there are times where I run just the Ogren. There are times when, we, when I run just the Enforcer. There are times when I run just four Meat Shields. And there's times when I run both the Heroes. And that's one of the things I really like about the team is because it really lets you play with all the different flavors of it, as opposed to a team, you know, for example, more like Wormblade, where the heroes are so good that you can't not take the heroes. It's simply not a choice to just run with the four mooks um, with, with Wormblade. Uh, with Blooded, it's really a choice. Makes a lot of sense. I usually yeah, used to just think of them as that. trying to run as many bodies before. I kind of threw off the Ogren when I was first reading the original book, but now seeing it here, it seems like the Ogren is definitely worth taking in some matchups. <laughs> yeah, I you know, I felt the same way. When I when I saw the blooded on paper, I did not really think much of them. And especially as the Ogren, I was really like, Oh, what a what a noob trap this is. This reminds me of, of the legionary butcher all over again, where they're just gonna see how high they can print the stats on paper to entice people, but Kill Team isn't really a game about, you know, having a bunch of wounds or having a bunch of damage on a single model. Uh, you know, there's there's so much more to that. You're, you know, how is it going to survive? How is it going to really do multi-kills? And those are all thoughts I had before I actually saw what the Ogryn did on the table. And once I realized you can have an Ogryn plus 12 other bodies supporting him, uh, then he's just only one of, you know, 12, 13, you know, bodies. And that's where it really starts to get fun. Would you consider the Ogryn your most valuable operative, or do you have another one in mind? Ooh, most valuable operative. Well, there there are so many to pick from. Uh, the Grenadier, with that with that super crazy frag grenade called the Diabolic Grenade, uh, has definitely single handedly handedly won me some games. Uh, also, the um, you know the Butcher is really incredible for just how much damage he can throw out at once. The Ogryn, of course, is amazing. Uh, you can never sleep on the Plasma Gunner. Uh, I really like the the trench sweeper, the guy with the shotgun and shield. There are so many great, great players on the team. Um, so it would, I cannot just pick one. Ogren's certainly the flashiest. Now, since you can't pick one favorite operative or a valuable operative, do you have a favorite at least? My, I, I guess my my personal favorite one of the ones I painted is is probably my flenser. Um, I just love that little guy because he's, um, you know, there's that, uh, I, guess, I think the guy from Can You Roll a Crit uh, came up with the idea that, the, you know, the Flenser is like you're playing, the floor is lava, um, but the floor, instead of lava, it's actually Flenser, and instead of the floor, it's just everywhere, and that's really a good way of describing the way the Flenser is. Uh, the, you know, when, when players play against me, they, they feel like that Flenser is just always there, he's always being a little jerk, he's always just screaming wildly at you and charging you. And you just cannot escape him. Um, so I just have so much fun with that little guy, and you know the look on someone's face when they when they charge him, and I just you know I roll and I say you die, and they're like no no I'm going to kill you I'm going to strike first. And I'm like sure I'll die too that's fine but you also die. And Worth the uh, <laughs> the the sort of the realization of that death strike that he has that you cannot escape, uh, the the look on their face is priceless. <sighs> Now, it sounds like none of these guys are overrated, but would you actually agree to that sentiment? Or do you think there's one that's like, oh, the plasma is bad. Sniper, never take it. You know, everyone thinks it's good. I, no, I, I really don't think that there's there's one that people will generally say is good that, that I would really say isn't good. Um, I, I suppose it would be for me more the opposite that some of the, the pieces people generally don't value too much, I actually think have more play than people realize. Seems to be a running theme in a lot of top players. They they typically um, don't use certain tack ploys that seem really good as often as most players do. And uh, same thing with operatives. 
Yeah, now, definitely. Sure. Oh, go ahead. Uh, now, I'm sure you mentioned it before, but what do you think really makes this team stand out compared to a lot of other two ABL teams, or a lot of other Horde teams out there? I think they they stand out just because how much fun they're having uh, with with all the the violence they can inflict and how just diverse their toolbox is. I don't think there's any other team that has so many different operatives that each have so many fun things they can do at range or in melee or for durability or for synergy. Uh, and, and that is what makes the team truly remarkable. And I, I haven't seen any other team in this game with that breadth of character. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Now, I have to mention this, since we just got the new critical offset, uh, critical missions offset now, that I can never get the name right. But now that we have that new set, what do you plan on taking with your blooded team? Like, which ones are you seeing the most work in your head? Well, the the great news, is, uh, first off, is that in the new critical ops pack, they're limiting you to one faction tack up, which is great because in my mind, Blooded only really had one great faction tack up anyway that you could take all the time regardless, and that's one bloodbath. And all you need to do there is murder, right? That is the only condition. You just murder stuff, and you want to murder a lot before <laughs> the end of the game, which is great because you're never in this quandary of saying, oh... Uh, do I want to kill or do I want to go score more points? It's like, no, no, no. You get to do both, uh, which is incredible. Uh, otherwise, the updates to Seek and Destroy have really, really helped the team uh, and really, I think, will change the team's competitive viability in, in a very serious way. I think it's the biggest buff the team ever got, to be honest. Uh, one of the biggest changes is uh, replacing Execution, um, which was one you couldn't take before with, with Executioner, which is point-click-delete, mm -hmm. which is wonderful. You still have your stables for Route and Robin Ransack, um, and now it's great because missions where route isn't really viable, Executioner definitely is. Headhunter and Assassinate are still very questionable, uh, you know, as far as having to kill a specific target. I think both of these are a little better when you have a lot of range threats, and because uh, Blooded are so melee-focused and so much uh, of their tools, you know, don't have a lot of mobility, that your opponent having control or agency of what piece dies, those are a little bit of a challenge to take. Um, but then finally, Eliminate Guards is, of course, going to be another great choice for Blooded. So Blooded are running with, now that they can pick their secondaries, I think they have four very solid options they can pretty reliably max um, coming from their, their faction secondary, or coming from their uh, Seek and Destroy secondaries. And then, you know, one to two faction secondaries that are attractive in, in most matchups. So Blooded are spoiled for choice, I think, in this update. That's a good sign. It's good, good for a lot of blooded players. Maybe now they'll start. We'll start seeing more of them come out of the woodwork. Um, now, when it comes to strategic ploys, is there ones that stand out to you that you feel you're taking almost every turn, like you're using every turn? Absolutely not. Uh, this this team does not lend itself well at all to any of these strategic ploys being used every turn. Really? Um, I can definitely say that one I have yet to ever take, and I don't think I ever will, is Overcharge Lasguns. Uh, blooded are you know not really primarily a shooting team. Not many of their operatives even have last guns. Of those that do, they tend to want to be hiding and not really getting too involved in the fight, and they tend to not being uh, given blooded tokens to, to make them more accurate. Um, the, as far as the rest of them, glory kill is sort of situational. Uh, Reckless aspirants also situational, and dirty fighters also uh, very situational. So <laughs> all told, uh, especially with the new uh, you know change to having more CP. Uh, blooded are going to be still not doing anything in the strategy phase a lot of the time other than allocating the blooded tokens and saving their CP for CP rerolls and some of their great tactic ploys. All right, so really the update to CP for you guys was just having more, let me try again, let me try again with rerolls. Yeah, definitely. 
you know, uh, going back to how some teams who have a lot of great strat ploys really benefit from this update, I think Blooded are proportionally hurt by having more and more availability of CP. Now, would you say the, sim the, the same is true for like tech plays, the tactical plays? Not nearly as much. Uh, there's, there's, I think, three solid tactical ploys that I make use of pretty commonly in games. Uh, the most fun and exciting of them is Callous Disregard. Um, this one is a little bit like that Pathfinder secondary, which allows you to shoot in a, in a melee. Uh, there's two critical differences, which I think are actually both better. Uh, one is that there's no range limit. So you can shoot into, into melee from across the board if you want to. There's no restriction on range. The second, and this is a plus and a minus, is that misses can kill your own operative. Oh, <laughs> man, what a risk reward. I'm, I'm usually not well, so, in favor of those. So, so it's probably here, better when you have dark gods. So, here, but, yeah. so here's the question. If your opponent charges one of your models to lock them up so that they can't get shot at, and you end up killing your own model, what does that also still do? Well, you get a blood token, right? Sometimes you get a blood token, but now that also frees that target to be shot from the rest of your team. So sort of like, even if you end up killing your own guy, that can actually still be completely fine. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, intercessors. <laughs> yeah, that that, uh, that one HP trooper you charged to hide in melee with for my Meltagun. Yeah, he's dead now. I killed him myself. Um, also, you took uh, also you took a crit and two hits from a Meltagun. Uh, okay, and now my Plasma Gunner activates and he's going to shoot you too. Uh, yeah, so... Uh, really, really, really fun secondary, and the name is just incredible. Uh, oh, one yeah. of my other favorites is Dark Favor. So this is, you know, you can call it Get Down, Mr. President, uh, where someone can jump in front of the shot and then for a buddy. Amazing, amazing ploy. When I first looked at it, I really didn't like it because I, I sort of had the vet guard lens on, and I was thinking, oh, this is a this is just a worse in death atonement. And then I realized, no, it's not. It's actually way better because now instead of, for example, your plasma gunner dying and getting one last shot guaranteed before they go off the board. If you set things up right, now not only does your plasma gunner not die in the first place so they can live on to another turn, the person who eats the bullet might not die, might not die either because you can set it up where somebody behind cover, maybe the, the trench guy with better armor, maybe that guy's taking oh. the bullet. Maybe that guy doesn't even die. And so now instead of a dead plasma gunner, you have two living operatives. And uh, you know that to me is a pretty good trade. So dark favor is incredible. And then there's also a moment of repute, which allows you to uh, give somebody uh, under the gaze of the gods one more APL. Uh, really great for later on in the game where you need to have uh, some hero uh, with a blooded token, you know, maybe charge fight, punch mission uh, uh, mission action to uh, secure the game for you. So really, or really fun. Yeah, shoot with a plasma, something like that. Absolutely. A bunch of really, really neat ways, uh, you know, late in the game, because you need gaze of the gods for this. So this is a, good, this is a late game tool. Right. Uh, but really, really great way of getting that extra APL out there. And with good management for your comms, you can very easily have a couple of pseudo three APL operatives. Which is good, especially on the big teams that can have so many activations. Oh, yeah. Now, what, what do you feel like equipments help you out in the game? Like, do you have a favorite one that really stands out? Yeah, there's, there's, it's easy because there's only one good one. Uh, the only good piece of equipment I think Blooded have most of the time, you know, the slight asterisk on it, is the uh, Sinister Trophy. And this is sort of like a discount, uh, you know, dollar store version of the Legionary version. So uh, what this does is it degrades the number of attacks opponents have in engagement range of it. Um, it's not as good as the Legionary version, which also degrades the number of attacks of everything within three inches of it, which is yes. far stronger. And if Blooded had that, holy moly. Otherwise, there's a pretty limited set of other tools that the team can have for equipment. 
your grenadier is going to be taking your grenades already, so you can't take more of those. And then, you know, I'll take a sprinkling of armor plates, beast pelts, maybe wicked blades, but nothing really eye-catching other than that really, really cool Sinister Trophy. Yeah, I would agree. I think Sinister Trophy does stand out the most. Very, like you mentioned, kind of like how Grizzly Trophy works for uh, Legionnaires. That, that really does come down. And I'd probably just take Wicked Blades, honestly. I would just throw those. But that's how I would play them, and I'm not as good. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, there are actually some matchups that'll take a bunch of Wicked Blades. And actually, that's uh, when I go into teams like Pathfinders and Vetguard. Because what I can do is I can give all of my troopers Wicked Blades, and all of a sudden now, they're pretty reliably oh, three-hit-killing. Because going up yeah. from damage 2 to damage 3 makes the break point into 3 hits to kill one. Or 2 hits leaves them 1 wound and, and injured, which is incredible as well. And so that really helps swing the math, where now you you can just kamikaze your troopers across the board. And one of these Wicked Blade blooded guys in a fight with a Pathfinder, or even two Pathfinders, those Pathfinders are going to struggle to win the, that fight, like even a 2-on-1. And that's pretty fun. Well, what do, what do you think about this? What if the Vet Guard player... Oh, you read my mind. <laughs> takes a bunch of hatchets because that's typically what I do in the gene stealers and people I know want to charge me. I just take a bunch of hatchets because I don't mind getting in close combat and letting my little dudes die. Yeah. I mean, that, that's definitely, that's definitely the move. I don't know why more vet guard players don't do it. Cause it's a, uh, it's absolutely the move. And uh, there's What's, only, there's only a few galaxy brains that have really caught onto that one. Well, it's, it's interesting because like I did it so much for narrative play. And then I started realizing, I was like, Oh, this isn't awful. Okay, this is actually kind of viable, but not super viable. And then you start like playing around with it a little bit more, and you're like, all right, all right. Yeah, it's almost a little bit of, of suffering from success on the vet guard side that because they also have so much other good equipment, it's like a little harder mentally to take the hand axe. Yeah. Because um, you're digging into what you could take as like the topo chart, the chronometer, you know, or more hot shot packs for your troopers. And since right, yeah. sporting a hand axe for somebody who may never fight. Um, the blood diversion is only one equipment point for the troopers. So it's really easy to just really sprinkle, a, sprinkle a few of those around and you really don't need good. to rely on crits to really, you know, deal a lot of damage. That's why I kind of like the wicked blades because uh, they're very reminiscent, you know, I yep. like it a lot. Now, does the blooded have a matchup that you prefer to play against? There's there's a few uh, there's a few that are surprisingly fun. Uh, so one I really like elite matchups with blooded. Uh, I really like fighting against intercessors and legionaries. Um, you know, uh, Dakota, I can't tell you how many of those I played at the All Valley Team Tournament, oh, and yeah. uh, I, I, I sort of <laughs> very felt, popular out here. Felt bad for them at a certain point because when I'm when I have twice the amount of activations you do. And I have a melta gun and a plasma gun that can shoot twice and a plasma pistol and an auger and a butcher. Uh. <laughs> it, it's just no amount of minus one crit damage or ignoring overwatch penalties or your assault intercessor fighting twice is going to get around how many threats I have that I can just overwhelm yeah. you with. And so those are actually pretty surprisingly good matchups. Uh, another uh, matchup that is surprisingly good for Blooded is Void Dancers. Uh, Void Dancers really like doing a lot of their magic within six inches. Void oh. Dancers don't have that much long-range shooting. The Death Jester's the only one. And if you can mitigate that guy, the rest of their team is now dealing with the fact that in order to do work, they need to be you know within six inches of you. And they only have eight wounds. And the second they start challenging you to a fighting battle... Any chip damage is going to hurt. And you have so yeah. many operatives that can reliably get a lot of hits in, get crits in with dirty fighters, with your gaze of the gods. And when you're critting, you're bypassing Chegrax Jeth. It's 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 a uh, it's a losing uh, losing proposition for Void Dancers. So uh, some of those top teams, uh, pretty good matchups. 
And pour one out for the clowns, man. That when you're playing against Blooded. Uh, now, is there one that you despise playing against that you always have a hard time playing against? So I'm going to say one that you know I think is the current boogeyman, and but I think that that Blooded's issues with Gellerpox are something that even if Gellerpox were to get adjusted, I think that is an inherently really big problem for them. So much of what Blooded like to do is do a little bit of mental math on how to make a specific trade and say, okay, well my my butcher can you know if if I chip damage on your intercessor, then my butcher can still kill him as long as he gets a hit crit, and you know if, if I run the numbers right, I'm going to be able to come out of this fight ahead. Gellerpox just says no. Gellerpox says, well, you're not going to be reliably hitting me in melee. And if you do try to melee me, I'm going to parry you out probably. I'm going to be able to smack you a bunch. You're going to do very little damage to me. The fight math is awful. Blooded don't have too many range threats. And, and that's really the best way to press against Gellerpox is have a lot of uh, you know shooting options. So I think that's just really, really bad for Blooded. And as long as Gellerpox are really strong in the meta, they're going to be a big problem for Blooded. Uh, the second one is actually Commandos. Uh, Blooded really don't like dealing into high wound pools when they can't reliably expect the outcome of a fight to go their way uh, because Commandos have just a scratch and 10 to 13 wounds depending on who's fighting. <laughs> That's really rough for Blooded. That that leaves the range of what Blooded are comfortable with dealing with. Yeah, it's fascinating that they have a couple really hard matchups that I wouldn't have even thought about, but it definitely makes sense that they'd struggle into Commandos um, just because Commandos also do what they do but they also do a little bit more damage and they have a little bit more health and, uh, but they just do it differently. So it's very fascinating. Um, a, do you a, think that's, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, as Emmanuel would say, you know, the orcs is the best. <laughs> the, the, the orcs is the best and, uh, orcs like blooded have a combination of shooting in melee operatives Orcs like blooded also have a huge amount of different toolbox abilities in their team. Uh, and some some neat blast stuff that can come out. So <laughs> the factions have a lot of similarities, um, but orcs have there's fewer of them and their chassis are sturdier, and that really helps in a fight. Yeah, big time. Now, what synergies do you think the blooded have that new players playing the blooded wouldn't notice right away? Uh, first of all, uh, there's some really really wonderful plays you can set up with the grenadier um, combinations of you know using. Uh, callous disregard to get some pretty wild grenades off. So if you don't know the, the diabolic bomb on the grenadier, uh, the diabolic bomb has the ability to do a splash two, which means two mortal wounds to everything within two inches. Um, and with the blast, you're actually rolling basically for a chain of splash attacks where if you're hitting a cluster of, you know, three, four, or heaven forbid, five operatives, you can absolutely just wipe and wipe clean an entire part of the board. The thing is, the Brimstone Grenadier can also contribute to this himself or with others. So in one game, I charged my Flenser into an enemy model and didn't kill them. And then my opponent, you know, sort of moved some other models nearby to sort of stack the wall to uh, to do a counter charge the next turn. And then what I did was I moved my Grenadier up and I threw my Diabolic Bomb on my own model. <laughs> and because of that, I rolled on my own model, and the splash from from my rolls there carried over to my opponent. So I ended up propagating a splash damage chain that ended up doing even more damage than it was supposed to because I put my own model in the way, um, which was really, really wild fun. Um, other other synergies are definitely ways of using the Enforcer um, to uh, get some really neat uh, Overwatch shots out at weird times. 
so one activation I had where my uh, my enforcer was given an APL the turn before, uh, he activated. He had my plasma gunner do an Overwatch shoot on a Vorgar thrice, thrice cursed. Uh, overcharged plasma did a lot of damage to him, and then the enforcer charged in and applied power fist to his face uh, to finish him off, which was really really fun. So there, there's a bunch of really neat ways of combining the tools together um, to really you know make them some of their parts. Hmm. Huh. It's an interesting take on that. It's something I probably wouldn't have thought of either. Yeah. Um, do you think that the blooded are easy to play? I definitely would say no. I think that's a that's a big problem with the. The time it's taken the competitive community to really get their get their hands around what this team does. I think on on paper, when you look at the team, you're thinking of them as, oh, it's sort of like gene stealers, I guess, where I'm going to run at my opponent and charge them, and I'm going to do a lot of damage, and I'm going to win that way. If you do that, you're going to get absolutely annihilated. Uh, Blooded require a fair amount of finesse to really understand how the things click together, and die at the right time and the right way. And if you die wrong, it's you're going to have a bad time. How hard would you say this learning curve is to other teams? Do you think that you're going to need... How many games would you say you need to make this team good? Yeah, so I think I've used this metaphor before. So I don't think Blooded have, at least in my experience, Blooded didn't have a learning curve. They had a learning square wave. And I, you know, I, for those of you who, who may not know what I mean here, basically, instead of being a, a gentle slope of learning, I felt with Blooded I got nothing. And I was a flat line until about five games in, where it all of a sudden jumped and I had things just magically click together and I just understood the team in a different way. And from then on, I sort of figured it out and understood, understood how the pieces clicked together. And funnily enough, my moment was when I played them right after the crack grenade nerf, uh, the thing that limited the number of grenades. And before that, I had been taking the crack grenades and trying to get those to work and was, wasn't super happy with the results. And then I tried to, tr- to play the game uh, one more team, uh, probably the, sorry, tried to play the team one more time to try to see, you know, what I can do post-nerf. And I started using the operatives for what they were supposed to do on paper rather than being grenade carriers. And I started seeing a lot more success. And I was like, huh, that's weird. When I'm not trying to chuck a bunch of crack grenades, it's actually going a little better for me. And it was a game against boy dancers where I had, uh, I think I, I, I did something where I, I moved one of my models into a position knowing that he would die. And it was, it was, I don't remember what exactly what I was doing, but it was pers- purposeful. My opponent killed him. I got the blood token that I needed. And I think comms gave it to somebody else. And that ended up winning me the game. And, you know, it was, it was things like that when I realized, you know, oh, I have to die at the right time in the right way where everything clicked for me. Oh, fascinating. Okay. Do you, how many, how many games do you think it's going to take uh, the average do- Joe to really, uh, get these guys to work at like a grand tournament level, like to take them to LVO and expect to do well. To take this team to LVO and, and do well, I think that's really hard because I think even once you figure out how this how this team clicks together, you're gonna be fighting against some of those boogeymen that are that are gonna be pretty oppressive. So uh-huh. to be to be playing at, at that kind of level, you know, you're looking at at least fifteen games, I think, to really get your your hands dirty with the team and really understood and really understand how to overlap the synergies with each other. Uh they're well, that- a dis- That's a lot less than novitiates. Novitiates, I think you said like 35. Are, seems like novitiates are a lot more complicated. Novitiates are more complicated because your resource mechanic for novitiates, the faith pool, is very much more complicated than the blooded pool. Um, a lot of the, a lot of what you need to really excel at with blooded is positional play with where your different threats go, um, sort of point and clicking those different pieces. It's a little less about managing your your blooded points pool, which which is there, but I don't think that's the heart of the team. And so if, you're, if you've been playing the game for a while, 
those skills will transfer over to blooded once you sort of see the team, this, uh, see the team in the right light. Whereas I think with novitiates, you're almost learning a separate game. Oh, wow. Okay. I see what you mean. Uh, for, for our final two questions, um, what do you think is a tip that you would give to a new player playing them? Um, which we've gone over quite a few in this one or, um, and then somebody at a really high level, like what would you give, say a, a tip is something that might not be intuitive. I think the, the biggest piece of advice I would give to a player starting off the faction is when you see these blooded points, they look really cool and you get them by dying. Always focus on making good plays and making trades for the right reasons and not just throwing away things to die because you want to try to rack up a blooded token or two. Uh, that's definitely... You will die during the course of the game. You will get a bunch of blooded tokens, I promise you. So don't fix it on on, on that point. Uh, that's definitely the, the single biggest point I would make to somebody picking up the faction. Okay. Um, and another, I think, piece of advice, especially earlier on, is to not sleep on the Trench Sweeper. Uh, he's very much um, easy to underestimate if you consider him in a vacuum. Um, if you only look at one thing that he does, just the shotgun or just the shield, uh, he's not that exciting. But when you combine those those points together, he's just a very flexible operative that can do a bunch of different things on the table. Fascinating. And then as far as things that I see with, with players who have been with the team for a while, I think one of the biggest parts uh, of advice is, is really, really strongly consider the enforcer and when you want to bring him. Uh, for a while, one thing that, that had confused me when I was looking at the discords was there was a general distaste for the enforcer. And that was something I didn't understand until I realized that that players were considering him basically like a shooting battery in the back where all he would be doing is telling your plasma to shoot repeatedly. And if all you're doing with your enforcer is just having him sit in the back and yell at your plasma to shoot faster, you're not going to have the most amazing results. And for me to really use the enforcer, you really have to use both really all three parts of what his toolkit brings. Uh, he brings the ability to have your guys do a dash or shoot after they activate, which is great. He has the ability to ignore injury when near him, which is also great. And he also has a power fist. Um, and with a team that, you know, doesn't have, um, you know, too many things that can slap out seven wounds on a crit, uh, that extra power fist really helps on elite matchups. And so definitely don't sleep on that. You know, some of those and intercessors. Yep. And it's brutal. Uh, but those, those nasty assault intercessors reaching your line, you know, need something with a lot of crit damage to break through that, that uh, durability they have. That power fist really does work. So um, absolutely, you know, really look at, everything the enforcer brings to the table and not just that one ability to make the, the plasma shoot more. Okay, cool. All right. Well, it looks like we're coming to the end of this episode now. Uh, you got any pluggables? Yeah. First off, uh, you know, kill team stream. Uh, you can find them, find them on Twitch, find them on YouTube. A uh, great place to uh, watch, uh, you know, LVO. Uh, you can watch Nova from uh, earlier this year. Uh, you'll be seeing uh, all sorts of stuff coming up there in the future. Uh, we got, of course, the Las Vegas Open coming up, which I'm very excited for. Uh, so check that out. Uh, Dakota, I think you, uh, I think the Squad Games website, uh, Lustrous Workshop, should have that. And then also Absolutely. the KillTeamOpen.com, uh, where you can find all the information and tickets for the Kill Team Open, which may or may not uh, dethrone LVO coming up as the largest competitive <laughs> Kill Team event in the United States. Uh, so very excited <laughs> for some record-breaking events coming up very soon. Um, I hope it does. Yeah, I, I hope so too. It's, it's, you know, what's good for the goose is good for the gander um, at any rate. Um, but that's, that's all I got. So uh, thank you guys so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely, of course. Chris. Absolutely. Thanks I love having on. you on.
And again, it is Chris, everybody. Yes. <laughs> yes, please. Please. Oh, could you do like a Barack Obama thing? Like if people were like, can we call you Chris Bucky? Like the whole the full name or uh yeah, that that's fine, I I suppose, but just just Chris is really fine. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanna just wanna make sure. Uh well you can always find us at squad.games on entertainment on Instagram. You can find us on Legends Workshop slash Squad Games. You can find me at Wargaming underscore Studios. And Dakota, where can they find you? Uh, you can find my website, lustersworkshop.com. Uh, find us on Twitter, though I'm not very active there. Uh, Instagram, same deal. And on YouTube. With YouTubes. All right, guys. Uh, I'm going to go get some sausages now. And uh, yeah. You enjoy those sausages. I will enjoy them. those sausages. Bye, and everybody. Don't bring up, don't bring up pizzas and nachos. Not again. Um, while I'm eating my sausage. It's sausage style, guys. It's fine. It always is sausage style. Hey, as, a, as an avid sausage enjoyer, I uh, I cannot dispute that. Oh, man. Then you definitely got to try this place out in Los Angeles when, when you get out here at some point. I'll be back. Uh, worst, worst kush. Worst kush in Los Angeles. With that, I'm out. Ciao. Peace.